Well, let's bow once again for a word of prayer. Father, we once again come before You grateful that we can do that even in our world today that more and more seems to be showing its signs of the heart whereby it hates You and hates anything that is of You. Grateful that we can gather and worship You as Your people still in unhindered ways. We can be here in this place. We can gather together and no one is coming against that. So as we open Your Word this morning, Lord, may what we hear be truth in our ears. May it challenge our own lives and our own hearts. And may it encourage all of us that You are a great and gracious God who cares for us. And so open your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Russ was giving our announcements this morning and saying that today is a great day in the life of the church, each day together is a great day in the life of the church as we get to gather together and worship our Lord. That is always a great day. And this day is a day obviously of worship, but it is a day in which we will be installing a new elder in our church. And because of that, I want to kind of take our time this morning and take a detour out of Luke this morning and turn to another passage of Scripture in order to remind us of the necessity of standing on the faithful Word, especially as it concerns leadership within the church. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. One of the most important things that we do as a church is to affirm leaders whom God has raised up for leadership at all levels, but especially for the elders. I don't believe there's any greater task, anything more important to speak about, to think through, to analyze than this issue of leadership in the church. It seems somewhat ridiculous to even think about it in some ways that some go about thinking about it, whereby any church would question the reality and necessity of having godly leaders. Seems to me today that there are churches throughout the United States and world that don't even think on that level. When they think about church leadership, the issue of godliness doesn't even seem to enter the conversation. It's all about business leadership and qualities of doing things that the world does and the way the world does them and not the way that God does them. But at the very foundation of every spiritually mature church, you will find men who are godly men. Turn back just a couple pages probably in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2 just for a moment. Because 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy some instruction on his ministry to follow. Paul was about ready to head off the scene as God was closing down his ministry on this earth. And Timothy was going to take the mantle and carry on. And so Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus... And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. Faithful men who, who will be able to teach others also. And then he gives them several qualities of what faithfulness is to look like. Paul says to Timothy, listen, you are to be strengthened by the grace of God, So obedience in your life as you are walking in obedience to your life, knowing that it is the grace of God that strengthens you in that, 
And he says, in doing that, I want you to safeguard the truth. I want you to pass down to others the truth that I have given to you. This is discipleship in practice. Safeguard the truth, Timothy, by passing on the truth to faithful men. And then he he says, Timothy, listen, you need to submit to your calling in verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's simply saying, listen, you need to suffer hardship with me. You need to do your duty, do it rightly, do it as a good soldier. That's going to bring about hardship in your life. It's going to bring about difficulties at times because that's what happens with the truth. When you pass down the truth, the truth is maligned and it will come against you, not the truth itself, but those who hate the truth. But you have to do your duty willingly. Willingly do what you've been asked to do. That's what a soldier is. He goes in the army, he serves the master, he serves the commander. Commander says, take that hill, he goes to take that hill. It doesn't matter if he disagrees with taking that hill, he goes to take that hill. Why? Because the commander said, take the hill. This is what we do as faithful men. And then he says, listen... Verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, be after God. This is the holy example you're to be. You're to be like the commander. You're to live as the commander lives. You are to put off all the hindrances that life might bring. You are to set those aside. You are to Pursue after God as a holy example to others. In order to do that, Timothy, you're going to have to prepare hard. Number verse 5, also if anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, be a man of principle. Be a man of integrity. Prepare hard. Do your work hard. Do it with integrity. This is what a faithful man is. Men of integrity. You see this happening in the other way in many places in the evangelical movement throughout the years where men who claim to be men of integrity have fallen aside. They aren't men of integrity. It doesn't do well in the church. So he says, prepare hard. Adhere to the standards that you know to be true and right. Then in verse 6 he says, look, the hardworking farmer ought to be first to receive a share of the crops. It's, it's hard work. Give it your all. Give it your all. Do the hard work of a farmer. In one sense, he's saying, listen, don't cheat. Don't cheat. Don't cut corners in your practice. Patiently wait for the harvest, but work hard in the job. Work hard in the task. God will bring about the fruit, but you must work hard. Don't cheat. Don't cut corners. Sacrifice and trust the Lord in it. Then he says in verses 7 through 10, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. The Word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul's simply saying, listen, Timothy, you're gonna, what you've learned from me, you need to pass this down to faithful men, and one of the things you pass down to faithful men is that their hearts need to be on God's interests, not their own. They need to be on the interests of God. You need to be about God and His kingdom. Be about the Word and its work. You need to encourage and build up those who are chosen and their true conversion. Work hard with the saints. This is what faithful men do. Paul says, I, you're to go and you're to entrust what I've told you to faithful men who will teach others also. We are about here in this church, looking for and at faithful men. This is the very design of God in His body. It's His very design for the church to 
to have faithful men leading the church and the spiritual maturity and the spiritual effectiveness of the church is a direct reflection of the spiritual maturity and the lives of those who are leading God's people. God says through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 4.9, like people, like priests. Like people, like priests. Interesting little phrase, just simply meaning that as the priests go, so go the people. As the leaders go, so the people go. And because the leaders of Israel in Hosea's time were not following God, so too the people were not following God. So this makes godly leadership crucial for all of us who are part of God's family known as the church. And it makes it the responsibility then of all of us to know the truth of God's Word. Each and every one of us ought to know the truth of God's Word, but for leadership, this becomes crucial. God cares about the character and understanding of His shepherds. Why? Because leaders have influence. Leaders have influence. Their lives will have a great impact on the lives of each and every person who is part of the body. What they do, others will do. What they say and teach, others will begin to repeat and say and teach. It's interesting, people come up to me from time to time and say, I, I remember you saying this, and I go, what did I say? Right? James 3 clearly says every word will be, you'll be held accountable to as a leader, as a teacher. God takes it very seriously. And so all that a leader is inside the church and outside the church by way of interaction within the church and outside, others will follow. Whether those things are good, whether they are bad, the leader's life is going to be followed. So the elders, the shepherds of the church, are in person a form of the truth before the people of God. We're a picture, if you will, of the truth. And because we are the picture of truth before the people, anything less than godly character will never suffice. One of the duties of elders in the church is to feed the flock. Several other duties that we have to carry out as we shepherd and care for the flock of God, but one of them is to feed the flock. The flock of God is to be fed the Word of God. So that by it, by the Word of God, the flock of God might spiritually grow unto godliness. That means that one of the most important qualities of any godly leader is to know the Bible, to know the Word, and to understand the Word. This brings us to Titus chapter 1. In the qualifications for leaders in Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this, Verse 7, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, nor fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, and here's where I want to focus our attention, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is where I want to spend our time for the rest of our morning, because I truly believe this is at the heart This is the very pulsating reality at the heart of Paul's concern for the church and those who lead as under-shepherds 
in the church. This qualification is so indispensable for the protection and growth of any church. And it is really more than just a personal character quality for the leaders, as Paul directs Titus to look for men with these character qualities. This is more than just simply a character quality for the leader. This is a specific task that each and every elder must be able to do. This is a task that each and every elder must have in their belt. In order for any elder to exhort in sound doctrine and refute any who contradict sound doctrine, they must first, notice, be able or be wholeheartedly committed to sound doctrine. You cannot refute sound doctrine. You cannot contradict or exhort in sound doctrine if you do not wholeheartedly hold to sound doctrine. This is why Paul says that they are to be holding fast to the faithful word. Holding fast to the faithful word. Holding fast to the faithful logos. That's the idea. That's the word there. It is the same idea of the preaching, the the gospel message which Paul and the other apostles had heard from Christ and had been taught by Christ. This is anything and everything that God says. We hold fast to that. It is God's message, God's message of salvation, God's message of the wrath upon all men who who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It is the, the message of God concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the message of God concerning anything and everything from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to Revelation. It is God's message, God's word about how life in Christ is to be lived. In other words, it is the authentic, authoritative, fixed body of doctrine taught by Christ and communicated by Christ to His chosen apostles who thereby were carried along by the Holy Spirit to communicate it to the rest of us. There is only one standard. There is only one teaching. There is only one doctrine. There is only one Word of God, and it is the absolute, objective, and faithful Word of God. That's what Paul is saying when he says, hold fast the faithful Word. The faithful Word. Therefore, any teaching that contradicts the teaching of the faithful Word, which is the Word of God, any teaching that contradicts that is a false, untrustworthy, and false gospel. It's not the Word of God. So Paul says those who are leaders or those who are potential leaders are to be the ones who are wholeheartedly committed to the faithful words of Christ. Why? Because they are in accordance with what Christ has always taught. They are in accordance with what Christ is and who Christ is. That means anyone who desires leadership in the church who isn't fully in firmly devoted to God's Word, is not ever going to be a leader in the church. Not this church, anyway. You have to have a firm, fervent commitment to the Word of God and a commitment to know the Word of God. This is essential. This is monumentally important. Because a man who does not tenaciously cling... Two, the orthodox, faithful, biblical doctrine does not qualify to lead God's people. Why? Why? Because they, who are themselves in error, will inevitably mislead God's people. 
This is why the leaders of this church know one thing. We don't have any advice for you. All we have is the Word of God. All we desire to give you is not our personal desires, not our personal ways, not our personal uh, human thoughts about the things of life. What we desire to give you is the Word of God. Why? Because we know that's the only thing that will help. The kind of man who does not know the Word of God will lead the people of God into the error, and that kind of man is no match for the deceitful schemes of Satan which inevitably will come. In other words, the reason that an elder is required to adhere, according to Paul's words, wholeheartedly to the faithful word is so that they might perform two tasks with it. Notice what he says. In order that, this is the purpose, this is why they hold fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the doctrine, which is this body of of belief and, and understanding about Jesus Christ, so that he, not any person, he, not females, not a male chauvinist trying to say females aren't gifted to, to do what God has asked them to do. We're not that kind of a church. Somebody says, well, you guys don't have women in leadership of the church. Well, that's not exactly true. We just don't have women as elders in the church and women as deacons in the church. Why? Because God says He. We're not a gender-neutral place and we're not a gender-confused place. So that He may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. These are the two tasks that an elder must perform by holding fast to the faithful word. John Calvin said it this way, quote, a shepherd, that's what elders are, they're shepherds in the church, a shepherd needs two voices, one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. The Scripture supplies him with the means for doing both. Unquote. I love that. He has to call the sheep, right? He has to exhort them. And two, he has to refute. He has to stand against. He has to guard without question Christ requires all leaders, all elders to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose sound doctrine. I turn back to 1 Timothy for a moment. It's interesting, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the same... list where Paul is listing out the character qualities for those who would lead in the church as elders. The Apostle Paul says that an elder must be apt to teach. Apt to teach. You see that in verse 2? An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable. New American Standard says able to teach. I think that's a not the best translation for the wording there because it's apt to teach. It doesn't mean he has the gifting of public proclamation of the Word, but he needs to handle the Word of God in such a way whereby he can sit down with anybody and teach them the Word of God. They are to be able to teach. And then Paul, in writing to Titus, as we are looking at here in verse 9, Paul expands what he means by that as he lays out here in verse 9 by saying that they may be able to exhort and refute. So this is the very thing that we here must require of our elders at this church. This is a necessity, a must of the elders. It is these two active qualities that teach and protect us as a church. Exhort and refute. Exhortation. 
It's closely related to teaching. Teaching imparts knowledge or imparts intellect that relates to the intellect. It causes thinking to go on as we teach. But exhortation comes along with that and urges people to receive that teaching and then take that teaching in and put it into practice in the very lives in which they live. That's exhortation. You cannot miss this. That's exhortation. You must do this. That's exhortation. Stop doing that. That's exhortation. So what are elders to exhort believers in? They are to exhort in, notice, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. The very same thing they're to hold fast to. Sound doctrine. Sound just simply means healthy or whole. Uh, The whole thing, the complete thing, the full thing, the healthy reality of it. It's metaphorical. It's a term that's, that's... It's an adjective that's used almost metaphorically here. Describes what's being taught. Sound doctrine in contrast to false doctrine. That which is true of Christ. That which is true of the things of the Word of God. In opposed to that which is false of it. It's healthy doctrine. It's not diseased doctrine. It's not sick doctrine. Why? Because disease doctrine ruins lives. Sound doctrine helps facilitate the building of lives that are godly. Lives that are wholesome. Lives that are living out in a clean way, if you will, a healthy fashion. We're not talking about physical health here. Obviously, there is there is some underlying implications potentially for that in the life of one who's living according to sound doctrine because he's not abusing the temple of God, and yet here it's spiritual life. Spiritual health. And so Paul says to Titus, listen, it's imperative here because the implication is for you here that the health and well-being of the church depends upon the leaders that you put in place as those who are going to be elders. This is what he said to him. For this reason I left you, verse 5, in Crete, so that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. This is what he's doing. You need men who know the Word of God, men who will stand firmly on the Word of God, faithfully on the Word of God, wholeheartedly on the Word of God, and be able to take the Word of God to the people of God so that they might be exhorted in the Word of God. Paul is simply saying, no, none of us, no man is biblically qualified to lead God's people if they're unable to express the Word of God in this way. If they would not do this, then they're not ready. And maybe even not qualified at all to be an elder in the church. Because the elders of the church are those who are able to exhort from the Word of God. This is highly, highly important to all of us. So important, in fact, go back to Acts 20. Acts 20, the Apostle Paul, even as he was heading to Jerusalem, didn't want to stop by the church of Ephesus, but wanted to talk to them. So he calls them down from, he's in Miletus, he calls the elders from the church at Ephesus down to see him. And he's giving them his farewell speech, if you will, his final words to them saying, I, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, right? I didn't, I didn't shrink from doing what God had called us to do and what I've called you to do, and that is to stand firm on the whole Word of God. I didn't shrink from any of that, verse 27. He says, so in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves. So not only is that an exhortation in Titus 1.9 for the elder to do in order for others, but it's also for himself. The reality is, in protecting and exhorting others, he is in doing that, doing it for himself. Guard yourself 
and all the flock. Verse 28. It's the Holy Spirit that made you an overseer, a shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That shows you the severity and the reality of the task and the calling. This is God's people. God's the one who died for us, not an elder, but you are now an under-shepherd, shepherding the people of God, the ones He purchased with His own blood. It's no wonder the writer of Hebrews says we are guardians of souls. That's a frightening task. Why would Paul here with these Ephesian elders be so exercised in his words, so direct, so honing in on themselves? Verse 29 tells us, because I know, Paul said, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Danger is lurking, danger is waiting, danger is right at the door, danger is crouching and wanting to pounce. And if someone isn't there guarding, if someone isn't there uh, exhorting, if someone isn't there shepherding, savage wolves come in and they don't spare the flock. And so there's an attack from outside, but even more importantly and probably even more dangerous than the outside attack is the attack from inside. So guard yourself because from among your own selves men will arise. Well, I can surely imply here by those very words that the ones that arise to that way, men from among our own selves that arise like that are the ones that aren't holding fast to the faithful word. They're the ones who aren't sound in doctrine. Why? Because they speak perverse things. They speak things they should not be speaking, and it is the task of the elder to not only guard his own heart to ensure that's not him, that that isn't coming out because he, he holds fast to the faithful word, and that he calls out those who are doing that. Why? Because they want to draw away the disciples after them. You see, it's not about the Word of God for them at all. It's about them. So Paul says, listen, remember, be on alert. Be on the alert. I think that that whole phrase there in verse 31 of Acts 20, therefore be on the alert, is not simply to say what he's going to say now, but also more so what he has already said. Be on guard for yourselves. Be on alert. Don't ever get comfortable in your place as someone who has arrived. Don't ever get comfortable that your heart can't do what this says. In one sense, he's saying, listen, don't ever take yourself that seriously. Because you haven't arrived. You haven't arrived and you will not arrive until you reach glory. So you better be on guard for yourselves. Because being on guard for yourselves is going to be on guard for the flock. One of the duties of the elders is to protect. Protect the church from false doctrine which enters because of false teaching in some kind of way. It comes in in a myriad of ways. It never comes in with a big sign that says, hey, I'm here, your false teacher has arrived, look at me, here I am. It doesn't come in like that comes in subtly, comes in through oftentimes attached to the, to the fleece of the sheep, comes in because all of us are out mixing around and doing things and hearing things and listening to other things and reading things and, and absorbing things, and it comes in that way. And so we have to challenge, we have to protect the church from how it comes in and when it comes in, and sometimes it's calling out someone who isn't part of this church, and sometimes it's calling out some of us, because we're being... those who would hurt the church. And that's why Paul says in Titus 1.9 that elders not only need to exhort, but they must be able to secondly refute. Exhort in sound doctrine, and they ought to be able to refute. Notice, those who contradict. 
those who contradict. That's why from time to time, even from this very pulpit, and sometimes even in Sunday school classes and in Bible studies and things like that, you will hear us call out things that we know in evangelicalism today that is false, that you should not be reading, that you should not be listening to, you should not pay attention to. Because we're called to refute those things. You ought to pray for, for the leaders of this church because it's a, it's a difficult task to stay on the front line is how quickly those things come, particularly in the information age that we live in. I mean, oftentimes you know of things and you hear of things that we have no idea is there yet. We haven't come across it, but you have. So we hear it or you come to us and say, hey, what about this? We have to then now ramp up our understanding of it and try to tell you and give you a, an answer from Scripture as to why or why not. We refute those things that contradict. The original word here really carries a stronger tone than the word refute. The word refute is, is kind of a soft way of saying argue against, but really it's rebuke. It's the idea of rebuke. It literally means to, to set it straight. To set it straight. To clear the confusion. To clear the confusion that's happening. In fact, there's an example of this, I think, going on in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, Paul is on his missionary journeys. And Apollos is, is strong in the faith. Apollos is learning. They come to Ephesus in verse 19. And the Apostle Paul stays in Ephesus. He enters the synagogue, reasons with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he didn't consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I'll return again once God wills, he set sail from Ephesus when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Having spent some time there, he departed and passed successfully through the Galatian region and Phrygia, or Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the Scriptures. Here's a guy who knew his Bible and who was very persuasive. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. and Being fervent in the Spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being equated only with the baptism of John. He had the doctrine right, but yet the doctrine wasn't fully informed with him. He knew the Word of God that they had. He knew the Hebrew Bible. That's what they had. He, he was fully informed on those kind of things. He, he taught accurately about Jesus Christ, but he only knew of John's baptism. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I think what you have there is, is an example of Two people in the church who knew the doctrine more clearly and who took this leader, this one who was an eloquent man who knew the Scriptures and explained it to him more accurately. accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, what happened? He helped greatly those who believed through grace. Why? Because he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Now he was understanding the doctrine better. Now he knew it better. He was eloquent in his words. He knew how to speak. He knew how to explain these things. He was mighty in the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures. And from that he refutes or rebukes even the Jews in public, demonstrating how? By the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is an example, I think, of what we see here in Paul is exhorting Titus to do and see in the men that he appoints as elders. This is how it is to be 
with each of us as Christians, that's how it ought to be. We ought to know the Word of God where we can say, wait a minute, that's not true. We ought to be Priscilla and Aquila. But it's imperative of those who lead God's people. So in the very same context here in Titus 1, Paul even exhorts Titus to do this very thing with some who had already been teaching false things. Verse 12, he says, One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts, lazy gluttons. He says this testimony is true. For this cause, reprove them severely. Why? That they may be sound in the faith. They set it straight. There's some who are saying things wrong. They're not according to sound doctrine. You need to set it straight. Tell them to not pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men turning away from the truth. They're not to do that. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, verse 16, they deny Him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. That's a pretty strong rebuke. We might just simply say they don't have an idea what they're talking about. Well, this then becomes the imperative for church leaders, leaders in the church. This is the way in which God protects all of us from error. In fact, none of the character qualities would be even valid to look at unless this was their life. They hold fast the faithful word. So according to Paul, the situation in Crete was an alarming situation. There were those in the church who were empty talkers, deceivers in the church. Maybe it was a leader in that church who had risen up, who, like Acts chapter 20, Paul is exhorting to guard themselves. He wasn't guarding himself. It's that kind of environment. It's the church's greatest need to have shepherds who maintained an unwavering allegiance to God's faithful word. They have the ability to exhort and rebuke when it's needed. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. Those those who are to lead the church, they must be able to master the Scriptures. An elder must be able to open his Bible and exhort and encourage others from it. He should be able to take the Word of God and explain it. He must be able to discern false doctrine when they hear it. Guard against it, refute it with Scripture. Why? Because it's God's faithful Word that brings growth to the church. It's the only thing that brings growth, the Word of God. Paul is very, very serious. Therefore, the elders must be well-versed in the Word of God. You say, how, how, how important really is this? We'll just turn back a page to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just to kind of help put a little more weight upon it, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That, That should be enough weight for the heart of any man who seeks leadership. That's the reality. We do this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. We can never forget that. If you remember that, you won't have a problem guarding yourself, and yet the flesh is weak. He's the one who's going to judge the living and the dead by His appearing in His kingdom. So therefore, preach the Word. That's what we do. We don't preach ourselves. We don't teach ourselves. We don't speak about worldly trends and habits and pragmatism and all those kind of nonsensical things. We just preach the Word. I I wouldn't know what to tell you on any given day in any given Bible study or any given time if I didn't just was able to open the Word of God and say, okay, that's that's what I'm going to talk about this week. We're going to go there. If I had to come up with with something to tell you that was clever, that was nice, that was comforting to your heart, that would scratch everybody's back in here in some kind of personal way, I would be a basket case every week and I would come up here and be silent because I would have nothing to say. I'm not that clever. I'm just somebody who opens the Bible and says, okay, this is what we're going to hear today. 
This is what Paul said to Timothy. You preach the Word. Don't, bear, don't, don't be worried about when you do it and why you do it. Be ready in season. Be out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's, that's the task. Why do we need to do that? Why is that so important in the church? Verse 3 begins to tell us. Because the time will come when they... Who are the they? Who are the they that Paul is talking about? Paul is talking about, get this, shockingly, he's talking about those in the church. For there will come time when they will not endure sound doctrine. Shocking! We better all be guarding our heart because we don't want our hearts to be one of the they. We better desire to hear the truth of the Word of God. We better desire to be where the Word of God is being taught, to listen to the Word of God, lest we become one of those in time who will not endure sound doctrine. Why? Because we want to have our ears tickled. We want to have something that feels good. We want to accumulate, therefore, then teachers in accordance with those desires. So our desires then become not about what God desires, but what about what we desire. And therefore we come and we tell God what we desire and we accumulate things which, which go along with our desires rather than the Word of God. What inevitably is the outcome, verse 4, we turn away our ears from the truth. We listen to myths. Tragic. It's a tragic end if we stop preaching the word. It's a tragic end if the elders don't teach the word. It's a tragic end when the people stop desiring the word. We ought to be saying in our hearts and sometimes even in our voices, preacher, we don't want to hear what you say. We want to hear what God says. But Paul says, you be sober in all things, Timothy. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's exactly what leaders are. They are just simply that by way of task, by way of life. Evangelists for the things of God. Beloved, this is so crucial for the growth of the church. So crucial, so important for our protection. Now, we have to remember That does not mean as heady and as high that that reality is that God lays out for us in Scripture. It does not mean that the men who lead you have all knowledge. That they know everything there is to know in the Word of God. You will certainly find that out tonight. We don't know everything. We cannot know everything We simply must be continuing to learn and bringing that to all of us. None of us who currently serve and none who will lead in the future will know everything that the Word of God says, but we must continue to learn. Our standard of learning, our desire for learning, our understanding comes from the Word of God and only from the Word of God. And we continue in that as we hold fast the faithful teaching, which is in accordance with all that Christ taught and passed down through His chosen apostles. This is who we are. There are areas for certain that each one of us are weak, have weaknesses, challenges. Leaders in the church are faced with all kinds of temptations. Some in which some of you would never know because you're not in those places. When leaders spend time and effort to help someone in their Christian life, 
hours and hours and hours in exhortation and teaching and, and even refutation of what may be false. And then you see someone who, who has listened or has heard and then they fall away from that and they walk in sin. It's very discouraging. It's very discouraging. When leaders spend time and effort doing that and then someone just falls away. It's a challenge to the heart. The challenge and the temptation to the heart said, why, why am I doing this at all? Because of those temptations, they may even have been tempted to not pour their lives into other people. To not get close to the sheep. To not be around people who need help. Why? Because of a disappointment. They may be indifferent. Maybe even tempted to become indifferent in order just to protect themselves. Self-preservation kicks in. I'll let you know this. One of the greatest ways that Satan tempts leaders is by tempting them to take the path of least resistance. Because you know that way that you know you ought to go is a difficult path. It's a battle, constant battle. You ask the leaders of your church, even even the deacons, I'm sure, in some ways. You ask Russ, ask myself, whatever. You can be rest assured it's a constant battle of our life. And we can we can look busy. We can look busy. There are a lot of details that need our time, a lot of little things outside that need our time. And we can say, oh, we're just doing it. We can be easily self-satisfied when we accomplish the things But at the same time, what we're doing is we're fulfilling the temptation to go the easy way, not the hard way. Opting for the path of least resistance always leads to biblical compromise. So this becomes a very real temptation. Very real temptation for those in leadership. Why? Because the fires of leadership are really hot. Really hot. Leaders are called to make difficult decisions. When those decisions are made, oftentimes many people don't like those decisions. They question the decisions. They just don't like the decision or how the decision was made. And at times it brings ridicule to them. Trouble, discontentment among other people. We don't want that personally. We don't like that personally. But sometimes that's what leading does. So it tempts you to run and hide. And then when something else comes along that, that smells similar, that, that seems the same, you need to decide which way you're going to go, and you know if you go that way, there's going to be ridicule and disappointment and discontentment and struggle because that's what happens in the human heart. The temptation is to compromise. What you know to do is right. All of us face temptations in life. The leader in the church is to be an example for the people. Example to follow. They're to do that with maturity and excellence. This is why it's imperative that we stick to the faithful Word. That we're Velcroed to it. That we're glued to it. That's why it's imperative that us as a church, all of us collectively, require that of our leaders. Because it's for our protection. When a church allows for leaders to be less than what is called for by the plan of God, what we are doing is causing self-inflicted wounds upon ourselves. It does irreparable damage to the church. Elevates somebody to the place of shepherding elder when they are not biblically ready. It does a disservice to that person. It does a disservice to the church. Exposes that person to temptations they're not prepared to handle. 
exposes the church to false doctrines that they are unaware and and unable to notice because they creep in that way. So here's my exhortation to all of us even this morning as we prepare to, to bring on a new elder in the church. As a church, you need to be continually in prayer for the leaders of your church. I know many of you come up to us all the time and say, I'm praying for you. And I don't know if there's a prayer group that I've ever been in in this church in my tenure here where the people of that prayer group are not praying for the elders and leaders of this church. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. That's the boiler room of the church. That's, that's where the heat is. We need to pray that God will protect the leaders. And that He'll continue to be faithful to us as we are faithful to Him to continually raise up those whom He is choosing. Men of integrity. Men with a heart sold out to the faithful Word of God. This is what our collective hearts ought to desire as a people of God. They ought to desire to be in the in the place where the Word of God is taught by faithful men who bring that about and that we do God's business God's way. God's way. All of us can be thankful to God for a unified heart that stands upon God's authoritative, faithful Word. Can't we? We stand on the Word of God. And we're always, we're always having our eyes open. Somebody said, how many, how many elders uh, are, are to be in a church? My answer typically is simply this. As many as God raises up. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever He decides His flock needs to shepherd them. Well, does that mean there's more in a large, large flock? Probably, because it's a larger flock. There's more to do, less in a smaller flock. But I don't know what that number is. If somebody was thinking about asking that question tonight, I just answered it, so you don't have to ask it. <laughs> but if you know someone, you know someone who aspires to the office of an overseer, as it says in 1 Timothy 3, then point it out to us. Begin a process of evaluation of that reality. You may see things that, that, that are things we don't see. You may notice things that we don't notice. God may be doing something in the life of someone who we don't know. Make sure it's according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Make sure the qualifications are there as you look at the life, not just in a surface kind of overview, but that you look at it carefully. And look at that, because that's exactly what you're evaluating them by, or should be. This is what God would have for our church. This is why this is a special day. This is a a, a very special day in the life of the church. Well, I'm going to pray, and then in a moment we're going to have Neil come up. And uh, we're going to pray for Neil as he comes an elder. Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You that Your Word can be so clear to us. Lord, I pray for us as leaders in this church, not just the elders, but the deacons and and everyone who is leading in some kind of Bible study group or otherwise, Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts to be faithful to the living Word of God, that we would be faithful to the sound doctrine. Wouldn't waver, equivocate, but that we would look at it hard Do the hard work. Be faithful. Speak what must be spoken in truth through love to one another, serving one another. Lord, and guard this church. Guard it from the wolves. Guard it from the wolves as You have faithfully done in the past. 
Continue to do so through faithful men. We'll praise you for all of it in the end. None of it is because of us. The effectiveness of this church has nothing to do with us other than being the conduits through which you have allowed us to be truth bearers. May we always remember that, guarding ourselves, guarding the flock. To your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.